Welcome, welcome. Um, would it be okay just to give our awesome band just a round of applause? Would, it, would that be okay? I mean, just the commitment level of all of them and the vocalists, uh, musicians and vocalists is really phenomenal. And I see what they do and I see all the work behind the scenes. And I tell you, we just so appreciate what you guys do and specifically the leadership that you provide, AJ. Um, well, today is week two of our series called Entrusted, and last week I kind of gave you some mic drop uh, questions, and this was the question I think that was just the one that just should be lingering, um, and you see it on the screen right now. How are you using what you've been given? And that was kind of the 30,000-foot the view of, of life, just saying, okay, how am I using what I've been given? And really, we kind of teased out these two different ideas. Uh, the first idea was ownership, and then the second was stewardship. And the uh, kind of the, the phraseology, if you will, I don't even know if that's a word, but it's a word now, around ownership was this, that ownership, if you just commit your life to where you're the owner and it's about you, the ownership leads to life's greatest disappointments, life's greatest disappointments. And we looked at someone who has more money than us and has more influence than us and who has, honestly, who, who tasted all the pleasures of life, everything that the world could offer. And at the end of his life, he sat back. And I think it's, it would be beneficial for us to kind of look at that. We, we sit back and we can look at what he said. And he's like, I, I've poured my life into all these things and I've squandered my life on me. I've squandered years of my life on me and seeking pleasure and money. And fame. And he says, but in the midst of that, he says, I was the owner. And we see this at the end of Ecclesiastes, where he comes to just the point in his life where he's more mature and he comes to an understanding that, that he's done some things wrong, that there's a better way. And I offer up to you the better way is this. Instead of being the owner and treating as if you're the owner of your life, because that leads to life's greatest disappointments. Instead, how about we tease out the idea of what a steward would be? So stewardship, I believe that, that basically with stewardship, it takes us on a different path and it leads to life's greatest contributions. Stewardship leads to life's greatest contributions. If we would start to just accept the idea that our life isn't just for us to squander on ourselves. It's not just to make a bunch of money. Honestly, it's not just to raise kids. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. And we shouldn't settle for less than what God has for us. But if we're owners of our life, and I said this last week, and this was, I could just sense the, just the tenseness in the room when I said it. If we treat our lives as if we're the owners of it, it dies with us. That we squander it on us. Whether it's a pursuit of money, whether it's, it's just squandering our gifts and talents on us, it dies with us. Uh, whether it's the amount of time that we spend in certain areas of our life, if we just spend it as if we're the owner of these things, it dies with us and our potential is limited. But if we, if we step out a little bit and maybe to start to accept this reality, we'll take what we discuss last week into the, into the weeks that are following and start to maybe view our life a little bit different in some aspects of our life, that maybe we're supposed to actually steward what we've been given. And the thing that we're going to talk about today is something that every one of us 
is we have to come to terms with at one place or another is time. Time is, is the thing that we all, we can look around, we can look at our, our, at our pictures from 20 years ago, and we look at the picture and say, who in the world is that person? And that person's you. And yet it seems like time has, has changed you. We all are prone to the effects of time. We know what time is. And if we're honest, when we're younger, we think that just, we just have this unlimited amount of time, don't we? Like we're younger, it's just like time drags on, and I can't wait for Christmas to get here. And now as adults, it seems like, what did we do last Christmas? I, I don't even remember. What, what did we do last? Did we go on vacation last year? It seems like as you become an adult and you take on more responsibilities, our, our aspect of time, it just kind of, it just becomes a blur. And one of the things that I think is beneficial is to look at when it talks about time is looking at something outside of ourselves. So I want to look at cell phones just for a second. Who remembers the bag phone? Bag phone. Yeah. Who's thankful we don't have bag phones anymore? All right. Yeah, bag phones, they were great in their time. And, you know, I so wanted to be Sonny Crockett, you know, in Miami Vice. I want to be rolling around in an awesome car and a white suit. Just kidding, not the white suit, but the car. And, and, you know, I remember looking at him and he had the bag phone. Like, we couldn't afford it back in the day, but he had the bag phone. It's like, oh, I so want this phone to be able to talk to people while I'm driving down the road. I can get distracted in traffic. Sorry, that's just the nature of having a phone, right? But we, we can look at a cell phone and you look at the bag phone and now you look at phones now. And like phones now, they've like come so far, no longer are they in a bag anymore. And now they're the size of a laptop, aren't they? And it's like we talk on the phone. I'm like, are you serious? Like you have Apple, whatever the latest Apple is, and it seems like they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. After a while, it's like you're going to need help holding it. It's like, what's the point? Like they have computers, right? You don't need a phone the size of your head. I'm just saying. But we... Sometimes we have to step outside of ourselves to kind of look at the span of years. Maybe it would uh, do well of us to maybe look at a picture that we have from years ago and we say, okay, that was me. But what is, what's my life like now in comparison to then? Oftentimes we have to kind of, to understand time, we have to step back from our current reality, don't we? And we all know what time is. Uh, part of the, the cell phone craze. My favorite cell phone of all time was the, the Motorola Razor. Anybody remember the Motorola Razor? It was awesome. I loved the Razor. It was small, right? And cell phones should be small. And that's a personal thing. They should be small. And that was thin. It was amazing. And mine was black. It was sleek, like metallic black. It was awesome. And I remember the, the, the Razor specifically, um, you don't want to text with that thing or get a text from me from that thing. The T9 texting was a nightmare. I have a hard enough time with smartphones now. But I remember specifically that phone, it was one of the first phones that we had that actually had the time on the outside. Like you didn't have to flip it open. I don't know, what time is it? It's like you could just go little button right there. It was a little screen. It was awesome. Just so we could be so aware of time. And, and even in the midst of this message, you're going to be aware of time and you're going to sit back about midway through and you're going to look at your, you're going to, you're going to look to see if I'm looking at you. That's what you're going to do. This is my view. You're going to look and you say, he's not looking at me. And you're going to look at your watch or you're going to hit your phone and hope the light doesn't, you know, wake the person next, person up to you, next to you. That whole thing. We're all aware of time and time just keeps slipping, slipping, slipping away. That should be lyrics to a song. And... 
Maybe if there's something significant in your life, and, and with Austin and Danielle, I asked Danielle, I said, how many days? And I think she said 27. I was like, exactly my point. Like, we know if there's something significant going on in our life, we become so aware of time. Whenever I was in the Navy and I did two different six-month deployments, I was so aware of time. The time, the countdown to getting home, would, they would start the day that I left. And every day I would have this awareness, 150 days in a wake-up, 90 days in a wake-up, 62 in a wake-up, 27 in a wake-up. And then when it got to one in a wake-up, I was like, oh. And then somehow in the midst of that, it's like all of that time then become inconsequential and all that mattered was that moment. I'm hoping for you that you would seize this time, the rest of the time that we're going to spend together today, that you would reevaluate the way that you look at time. Maybe that you would be able to step back from your reality and say maybe that your time doesn't have to be, um, that your influence doesn't have to be limited by the amount of time you have on earth. And we see that specifically in uh, Psalm 90. If you have your Bible or a smartphone or if you forgot a Bible, there's Bibles throughout the seats around you. Um, We're actually going to be in Psalm 90. Something uh, kind of significant with Psalm 90 is this. It was written by Moses. A lot of people think that the Psalms were all written by David. That's not the case. Some of the Psalms were written by David, this one by Moses, some by a guy by the name of Asaph, and some by people we don't even know who they are. And another uh, a little tidbit about Psalms. Psalms is actually a collection of a bunch of writings or songs, a collection, about 150 all total. There are 150 all total. And there was five different books, if you will, that were put together for Psalms. And uh, a lot of people believe that Ezra, as the author of the book, Ezra, in the Old Testament, that Ezra was actually the one who compiled all of these. But this one specifically is written by Moses. Last week, if you were here, I told you a little bit about Moses' story, that Moses was a Hebrew, and that he, as a child, uh, the Egyptian ruler at the time, his name was Pharaoh. If you read your Old Testament, Pharaoh. There were different Pharaohs in the Old Testament, but this being one of them. Um, he actually ordered that all baby boy, Hebrew baby boys be killed. So to uh, save Moses' life, Moses' mother puts him out in the Nile River. That was a last-ditch effort to save his life. He was cared for by his sister Miriam. And eventually, um, the, actually the Pharaoh's own daughter finds Moses in, in the, the reeds in the Nile and raises him. So he starts as, as a Hebrew. He has Hebrew beliefs, but he's raised as an Egyptian. And another thing that's just so fascinating, even if you're not a Christian, like most faith groups recognize Moses as being some... Uh, having some sort of significance in the world religions. So Moses teaches us something here in Psalm 90. And he teaches us, we're going to take this text, we're all going to go all the way through verse 12, but we're going to take this text into into basically tidbits, into bite-sized pieces. And when we get to the end, I'm going to give you a question I want you to wrestle with for the rest of, honestly, not just for the rest of this day, but I just want you to wrestle with when you make decisions later on. So let's jump into the text, shall we? Verse 1 through verse 4, Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are 
God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or a watch in the night. So Moses, he, he tells us something in the text. I don't know if you noticed this, but he's saying that God exists outside of creation. So God decides to, to, to take part in creation, and he gives us, he gives uh, his followers Lord Jesus gives his followers peace and hope and purpose and direction. So many other things gives the the offer of abundant life and eternal life. But also what Moses is telling us here, he says, God exists outside of his creation, that the creation, all of that was created. And God is the uncreated one, that the very nature of God is eternal. And, And he says in that passage, everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is a declarative statement about God, that Moses says that there is this span of time that we as as humans can't even understand, and only you can, that we're all prone to what we see and experience here as part of this creation. But God is is eternal. He is unchanging. He is the promise-giving God. He's the God who offers the path of hope. He is the God who, who will give purpose to those whose hearts are inclined to his He's this God. He is the God who, who offered up his son as a pathway to salvation, as a pathway to citizenship in heaven. It's this God. It's the same God who, who says that the path to citizenship is open to all, but our experience in heaven will be different. That our blessings in heaven will be different, depending upon the good or the bad that we've done. So what Moses is saying here, even in the midst of this, and he says that God is everlasting to everlasting. So I've put the rope on the stage just to show this, and I wish I could have it continue, but you'll just have to go with this small example of eternity, if you will. So from everlasting, so before creation, uh, dot, 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 all the way before any of us were created or anything was created, God existed. What Moses is saying is before anything that existed, anything that ever was created, God existed. And yet, long after this earth passes away, and there's a promise in in the book of Revelation that this earth is going to pass away, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and that that Christians, and I realize some of this could be so, like, so just overwhelming to you, especially if you're not a Christian, but Christians believe that that our our souls are, are going to be spending eternity in heaven with God. And that even when there's a new heaven and a new earth and, and our souls are taken into eternity, we get new bodies that are, are imperishable. They, they, they won't be fading away like our bodies now. And, and one of the promises of the gospel there, too, is that there's going to be no tears and no pain in heaven. Amen to that? There's no disease. There's no social ills. There's no racism. There's no bigotry. None of that in heaven. We'll all be one in heaven. And yet Moses is saying that God is, is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, that, that we can spend eternity with God. And honestly, what you're going to see at the back end of this, of this sermon is this, that God offers us a path so our influence can actually span into eternity. That it can span into eternity. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Then he breaks it down into three different uh, ways right here in the text in verse Four, he says, a thousand years in your sight are like, like a day that has just gone by. 
And then you see that's one picture. He says a thousand years. He's like, but, but to you, God, it's like a day. But then he breaks it down farther and he says, then it's like a watch in the night. And a watch in the night for a watchman or a shepherd was three to four hours. Same thing that you see uh, today with our military. They, they stand watch while everybody else goes uh, to sleep. There's a person who works all day but then gets up in the middle of the night to stand watch over guard, over buildings, over spaces, over countries, over people. Three to four hours. So Moses says, just now to God, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. It's just boom. That our lives seem to sometimes seem to just drag on. And the, earth, the, the younger that we are, it seems our lives seem to just drag on and drag on and drag on. And yet one of the benefits to age is this. Comes the opportunity to have wisdom. And with, with that age, and often uh, I hear you tell me things like, you know what, I lived the first half of my life for me. But then maybe there was something that happened. Maybe it was somebody that you had to say goodbye to. Maybe it was just something significant that happened in your life and you started to view your life and your influence and your time differently. I'm learning from you. And oftentimes the older that we get, the more we start to understand the value of time. But how about, how about before we get up in years, how about we start reevaluating our time now? How about we press into what Moses is saying here, that there's a span of time that's, that's eternal, everlasting to everlasting, that God is God. And he's teaching us, that Moses is teaching us something about God, but also he's teaching us something about ourselves. Let's continue in this passage. Verse 5. You sweep, you sweep away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass in the morning, though in the morning it springs up New By evening, it is dry and withered. It's come up and it's gone. It's come up and it's gone. It's come up and it's gone. Verse 7. We are consumed by your, anger and ter- by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Some of you have experienced the death of a loved one, and you know this to be true, that the expiration of that life happened with a moan. And don't we just know this to be true of life, what Moses is saying? This is not something that we don't understand. This is something that we, that we live, that our life is, is limited what Moses is saying here is, is there is a God who offers the, just the path of, of eternal significance in your life. And you have to understand that, that your life is shorter than what you think it is and that your influence can be greater than what you currently think it is. That God is eternal, everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And, and he tells us right here something we also see in the New Testament. We're going to see that in just a second. But before, so, before we do so, let's jump into this. God is telling us that we must begin to reevaluate the usage of our time in light of eternity. In light of eternity. That God sees time on just this eternal time frame. And our time is limited. 
See, when we're younger, we, we start to think that this is our life from one end to the other, and it just drags on, and I can't wait for Christmas and my birthday. I can't wait for graduation. I can't wait till I get my car. I can't wait till I get married. I can't wait till I get out of college. I can't wait until I make my way up to middle management. I can't wait till retirement. And then what after that? Like, and we can just kind of wish our lives away. Can't we? God is telling us that we must begin to reevaluate our time in light of eternity. So instead of, our, instead of seeing our lives as just this limitless strand, how about we start with this to understand that though God, his, He is eternal from, you know, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. But what Moses is telling us is there is a span of life. And honestly, it's a lot smaller than this little red piece of tape. But if I made it any smaller, you wouldn't be able to see it. This is, this is our life in light of eternity. But we make the mistake that this is our life. But our life is short. Our time is short. God is telling us that we have to, we must begin to reevaluate the usage of our time in light of eternity. So there's something about this span of our years that we have to press into. We have to ask greater questions about. We need better understanding about. Because if we just own this time for our sake, our, our life, our time dies with us. But if we start to challenge, we start to reevaluate the usage of our time in light of our eternity, our lives can live beyond us. The New Testament says this. Three different passages. First one is Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all men because all sinned. Because all sinned. So this tells us, uh, in this, is, is making mention of our sin condition. The sin condition that was introduced into humanity by Adam and Eve. And it's been passed down generation to generation to generation. And as long as there are humans on earth, this will still be true. There is a sin nature within us that cannot be remedied from within us. That there's a, there's a sin nature that plagues us. That just as sin entered in through one man, that would be Adam. And death through sin. And death through sin. The consequence, one of the consequences of sin is physical death. Or eternal separation from God. And it says in this, so also death was passed on to all men because all sinned. We need to keep pressing into this a little bit more. Another passage 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 from the New Living Translation says this. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now a resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus Christ. So the, the resurrection of the dead. If you're a Christian or if you've been in church for a long time, this is something you're already familiar with. As a matter of fact, you could be so familiar with this that you think that this is all that salvation offers. Many people, they believe this and they live like this. They believe that I'm saved, so now I've got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven, and I'll just wait until I get in, into heaven to experience all God's blessings. And this is, this is part of it. 
But also an incredible part of it is the abundant life that Christ Jesus offers now. And what's being offered today in, in with this passage, in the teaching of Moses, guided by the Holy Spirit, what's being taught to us today is if we start to reevaluate our time, that actually adds to our life's significance. If we start to reevaluate our time, it could add to our life's significance. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is, this is the very thing. Maybe you, this is maybe the reason why you came this morning. And you thought it was for something else. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want you to know, because of the same sin nature, the, the one that is limiting our physical life, the same sin nature that is actually holding us back from God's best right now, the same sin nature plagues us in such a way. That means there's nothing within your life you can do to earn salvation because the wages of sin is death. It's physical death. The reason why we experience pain in this life is because of the sin that was introduced through Adam and lives out through us today. The, the reason why we grieve and why we mourn, the reason why there is disease goes back to the original sin that's been passed on generation to generation. But it's not something that we have to spur up within ourselves to overcome this sin because we can't. Instead, we look at what the last part of this verse says. It's the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the path to salvation. It's the gift of Jesus. It's the gift of our Lord offered through Jesus Christ. His broken body, shed blood on the cross was the pathway to your salvation. It's not within yourself. It's not within yourself. It had to be something greater than yourself. It had to be something outside of ourself. It had to be something or someone, I would say, that is eternal, that offers a path to salvation. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe you're hearing this for the very first time, I would love to have a conversation with you after this talk. I would love to have a conversation with you after this talk. Maybe you've lived your life for your benefit. And you just want to see things differently. You just want your life to, to you want to add value to your life. You, you see that your life could be so much more than simply living it for you. But maybe your first step is accepting the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. But to gain movement into making the most of our time, we first have to understand and we have to begin to think and knowing that our time is shorter than what we think. That our time is shorter than what we think. It's so much shorter than what we think. What Moses is instructing here, he says that our secret sins in light of your presence, so there are no secret sins. All are exposed. God sees all sins. Sins that, you, that you've accepted, that you think that just pertain to you, that God sees. God knows full well what's going on at the end of verse 
8. And he says, all our days pass away under the wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due him. So the span of your years is 70 or 80 years. And Moses says, if you have the strength. So this is the the span of our years, but it doesn't have to be the limitation of our influence. It doesn't have to be the limitation of our influence, but understanding that our time is shorter than what we think. So therefore it is more valuable than what we think. And the reason why our time is because the sin that has been woven through humanity But verse 12 is what we've been building to. Verse 12 is something I want us to camp on. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright. That way we may gain a heart of wisdom. What if you, Christian, just today started to pray this, pray this right here, teach us, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me, God. Teach me. Teach me. To make the most of our time, we must accept that time is limited but also that our influence doesn't have to be. Our influence doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. The span of our years is 70, 80 years, some less, some a little more, but it's limited to our strength, but our influence doesn't have to be. I started to think about this, and as I was studying, I found a quote by John Wesley. And to me, this is a powerful quote. It's something I'll just continue to chew on long after this message is over. This is what John Wesley said. I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Wow. What a way to measure the time that you spend in areas. What a way to measure the time that that you spend on hobbies. What a way to just to measure the amount of time that you spend at work. What a way to maybe reevaluate the the most uh, significant relationships that you have and how much time you invest in them. He says, I value all things only by the price they may gain in eternity. That means that you, you have your marriage, that the covenant of marriage is, is there one to the other in light of eternity. That your purpose, husband and wife, is to help sanctify one another for eternal purposes. That means when you go to work, you're, you're not just there to get that paycheck anymore. That now you start to reevaluate, okay, my life is more valuable than just a little bit of money that I make. And, and maybe getting paid on the 1st and 15th, my life is more, more valuable than that. The span of my years may be limited. By, and my influence doesn't have to be limited. If maybe I start to say, you know what, I need to value all things only by the price that they shall gain. In eternity, I believe we would reevaluate the way we use our gifts and talents. We would reevaluate the way that we spend our time. We would reevaluate the course of our life. We would reevaluate our relationships if we looked at this maybe through a, li- a different lens. The problem is this we misalign our time by acting like owners 
and not stewards. We, we misalign our time by acting like owners, not stewards. There's four different ways, and the list honestly is limitless, but this is the four that I come up with. Ways that we misalign our time as uh, like owners instead of stewards. The first one is this, exchanging lifelong influence for short-term frustrations. Exchanging lifelong influence for short-term frustrations. One of the things that happens in context of family, which is the most significant relationships you will ever have on earth, happens within your home. One of the things that happens in the context of family is we just allow these these little short-term frustrations to dominate our home. This may be the very reason why that your your home is is on a constant emotional roller coaster because you're allowing these short-term frustrations to then overpower the long-time influence that you can have. And it's just the the time frame. It's just short term, but yet for some reason it just eats at you and eats at you. And that's what you talk about. That's what you get angry about. So then you spend all this time and energy and angst trying working on those things. And then all it does is it just limits what should have been positive, lifelong influence. It happens to the best of us. Happens to the best of us. Second thing is feeding the ego. Feeding the ego. The ownership of time results in feeding the ego. And by that, I mean this. It means the more busy that you are at work, the more successful you look to others. The more busy you are at work, the more successful you look to others. So when somebody says something to you, hey, do you have time for this? Hey, do you have time for coffee? No, I'm busy. I can't. When, when, you're, when you're, you're, your spouse says, hey, we need to go on a date night, you say, oh, I'm busy. I can't. I've got these chores to do. I've got, I got this, this thing at work to do. I've got a deadline at work. I've got these people. I've got this meeting. I've got, I've got this thing that I'm building up to. And what you're saying is the benefit is not for your family. It's not for eternal significance. It's feeding your ego. You're acting as an owner of your time. It's not actually about your work. It's not actually about that deadline. What you're saying is, I feel good about myself when I look busy. So instead of, maybe this, this explains why you're overcommitted. Maybe this explains why your stress level is on 11 right now. Maybe this is the reason why. Maybe this is the root cause. Maybe it has to do with you feeding your ego and you're starting to act like an owner of your time. I don't know. But all I know for certain is this. Your time and your life are so valuable and they need not be squandered at work. They need not be squandered at work. Another thing, feeding with feeding the ego, this also may explain some stress and, and just being overly busy taking more responsibility than what you need or can handle. Just taking more responsibility. So you just take more and more responsibility and somebody asks me to do something, oh, I feel good about that. Somebody asks you to do something, so you say yes. You don't even think, you just say yes and you just do it. It's not a matter of what needs done. You just feel good when somebody is relying upon you. That's feeding your ego. That's you acting as an owner of your time. Not a steward or manager. That's an owner. Third thing is this, maybe in the midst of this, you're just hiding possible laziness. 
Maybe you're just, you're just being an owner of your time. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I can't. I would, but I can't. I'm, i got to be at work. Because when you're at work, everybody pats you on the back because maybe you're the one in charge or maybe you're not the one in charge, but maybe you're the one that everybody goes to for questions. And you feel good about that. And yet you love the way that people look at you and they, they kind of coddle you and they say, oh, let's go get their opinion. Let's go get their opinion. You love the way that feels. And maybe you love the way that feels so much that it's a detriment at home because you love the way that feels and you feel successful at work. But yet when you feel like a failure at home, you're hiding possible laziness when you're at work and you're being an owner of your time. What if you were to kind of change your way of thinking to say my most valuable relationships are at home not at work so maybe those at home need to get the best of you and the last one it's not very creatively named it's called the greed monster and the idea behind that is this I have to have more stuff. I've got to have, uh, I've got to have the hunting lease. I've got to have the boat. I've got to have uh, a better truck to replace the already nice truck that I have. I've got, to, I've got to upgrade my house. I have to live in a better neighborhood. I have to put my kids in, in this, all these activities, and I've got to have this certain education level, and my kids have to go to college. And, all of, and once you start amassing and you start putting all these contingencies on your time, you're going to have to spend more time at work trying to compensate for all of the greed that you're instilling within your own heart and all of that extra time spent trying to get things eats away at your time I, I know this firsthand I actually just had this conversation at our community group on Wednesday night and it just came to mind and, and I've actually told you some years ago about this um, I had in one stage of my life I had the red impala syndrome you remember when the Impalas came out, like the newer, I'm not, I'm not talking about the really cool, like 70s Impalas, but like in, in the early 2000s, Impalas came out, and they came out with this amazing red. I was a four-door, right? So I was a family man, four doors, it wasn't that cool of a car, but I love this car. And it was, they were red. I remember seeing the commercial, and I was just like, I want one. I got to have one. I mean, it was just something just churning within me. It was like, I just, I'm not going to be satisfied till I have one. And in those days, I was in the aviation field. And, and I worked, and I got back into town about 1 o'clock in the morning, and it was, uh, the dealership was right on the edge of town. As soon as I'd come into town, I was on the left-hand side. And I remember uh, looking out, and it was just so amazing to me. It, I was just like this, this Impala was just kind of like hovering over all of the other cars, almost like levitating and I remember looking at this this red impala it was a 2001 and I was thinking I've got to have the red impala it was a sickness y'all it was but I remember looking at that car and I was like I just gotta have it it was like it was just in the midst of all these other cars and it was just high and lifted up I mean it's like I just wanted it and I went there right after that I worked second shift. I went in during the day and I was like, they had to have seen sucker written on my forehead from like miles away because I went in there. I got the worst deal of all time. I'm driving in. I'm like miles in. They had to have known like, hey, we got another sucker. He'll be here in a minute. He wants that red Impala. Just give him whatever deal. You make as much money as you want because he's going to buy it. So I went in and, and I sitting talking to this guy. Got a horrible deal. Horrible deal. And, and I looked at this car. It actually wasn't even brand new. It was used. It was like a dealer car, which means that the people at the dealership probably were hot rodding the day before, you know? 
I get this car, and I remember the, the payment was $405 a month, and that was a lot of money to us. Maybe it's not a lot of money to you. It was a lot of money to us. And, and getting this car, but I was so fixated on that car that I had to have it, that I, I wasn't going to be content until, until I had it. So I go in, and, you know, and I think I give the guy the run around, and I go in, and I sign the paper. I'm like, I'm coming out with this red Impala. And I come out and I leave. And I have to tell you, it was, I believe it was less than a month. I wish I knew the exact amount of days. It was less than a month. I do know this, that I hated that car. Hated it. Hated it. Because every time I would come out and I would see that car in the driveway, it was a reminder of a bad decision. I remember that car just repulsed me. It was awesome when we traded that car in for the white minivan that we had for years. It was awesome. It really was. And you may be thinking, dude, that's a step back. No, no, no. No, no, no. Betsy was a beast. That was a white minivan. It was amazing. That thing was like a tank. We would use that thing as a battering ram until we got rid of it. The wheels are falling off of it. We just got rid of it just the right time. But I love getting rid of that red Impala because it was a reminder of a bad decision. That it was a car I couldn't afford. It was greed that was feeding it. And I knew that I would have to work harder to keep it. So I'm working second shift. I'm already not seeing my family. I'm working second shift. So then the, the offer of overtime was very enticing. And overtime for me was on Saturdays, on one of my only days off of the week. So one of the, the, the time that should have been sacred for my family, but then I had to leverage that time for overtime to pay for a car I did not want. And I certainly did not need. I fell into the greed monster mentality and the red impala syndrome consumed me. So I'm going to give you one statement and then I'm going to give you a question. And the statement I think is the best way that we can live out and apply what Moses is saying here in verse 12 about teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So I want to give you the statement and then a question. Here's the statement. When you abandon all self-centered reasons of spending your time and begin to pursue God's purpose, you resolve the tension between ownership and stewardship. So when you abandon all self-centered reasons for spending your time, you abandon those, say, I'm not going to do those anymore. My time is going to be used for things so much more valuable than me. Because if I'm simply the owner of my time, that means all of my time and influence dies with me. But if you want to resolve that tension, what you do is what it says right here in the middle of this. You begin to pursue God's purpose. And when you begin to pursue God's purpose for your time, you resolve the tension between ownership and stewardship. That's so easy to understand. But we will spend the rest of our lives trying to apply it well. So here's the question. Here's the question. Does the time spent on, fill in the blank, simply benefit me or the kingdom of God? Does the time spent on whatever you're talking about, whatever area of life, whatever aspect of your relationships, whatever the amount of time that you spend at work, whatever it is for you, does the time spent on blank simply benefit me or the kingdom of God. How you answer this ultimately determines this. 
If you say that you're just going to be happy with just spending your time on you, that's saying, I'm going to be an owner of my time. So the amount of time that I have in the middle of, of eternity's sake, everlasting to everlasting, he is God, we are not. So what you say is, if I'm just going to benefit me, that means that you're going to put all of your influence and all of your time and all of your energy and all of your gifts and all of your talents and all of your money, every part of you, you're going to say, I'm just going to put this right here. I'm investing in this. The problem with that plan is, if you're the owner of that, you may think, wow, I've got a whole lot, but it dies with you. And your time is actually less significant. But if you press into this and say, you know what? I, I want to live my life differently. Not to just benefit me. But to benefit the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, you've just stepped into this thread of eternity. To where you've utilized your life and your time to tap into someone. Maybe to invest in a relationship. Maybe it's commit to an area of ministry. Maybe it's just to say yes on that foreign mission field that you want to go to. Maybe for you, you just, you're kind of half-stepping in your relationship right now. You just need to commit to it for the glory of God, not just the benefit of yourselves. And when you do that, not for your sake, but for the kingdom of God's sake, you say, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that step. I'm not going to do things. I'm not going to live my life just to benefit me, but I want to invest in the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, you tap into eternity. That your time is limited. It's shorter than what you think. But your influence doesn't have to be. So what I, I've given you, kind of, the host team gave you today is this. Could everybody hold that up? This I just want uh, you to have as a reminder. But what I want you to do specifically is I want you to be able to reflect on this. I want you to put this in your Bible in Psalm 90, right in this passage that we've just studied. And you can use this as a regular bookmark everywhere, but I'm going to put mine right in Psalm 90 because I want to have a reminder and I want to be able to, anytime that I, I see this sticking out the ends of my Bible, I want to be able to go to that passage again and again and again. So that way, specifically verse 12, that I can go back and say, Lord, teach me to number my days aright. They may, I may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days. So this is a, a memorial, if you will, of not just this day, but honestly, hopefully a, a great reminder for the rest of our days that as we put this in our Bible, that it would bring us back to this day that maybe it would just be a monumental day for you, that you start seeing things differently, you start investing in, in your time differently. But you have to wrestle with the question, am I just going to do things to benefit me or the kingdom of God? The best way is the route, obviously the route of investing in the kingdom of God. And when you do that, you've just resolved the tension between ownership and stewardship. And you can do it. Let's pray. God, you are an abundant God. You're teaching us, each and every one, the value of our time. We're so aware of time. But what we become unaware of is our influence in that time. I thank you, Lord God, that you are an everlasting God. And that you, because of the gospel, 
you allow us to, to have our life built upon that firm foundation. I thank you that, our, that death was arrested on the cross. That our sin nature, as followers of Christ, our sin nature will, will suffer defeat. And I thank you, Lord, that we can stand upon the promises of your word, the promises of your grace and your hope and your peace. Stand upon Jesus. God, by your Holy Spirit, lead us and and guide us to wrestle with, to reckon with what we've heard today. And we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.